0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: I have not seen anybody that goes to the direct issue of, of helping you manage your equipment, your operators, how to operate equipment.
0: Good afternoon and happy Tuesday. I almost said Thursday, so we are already kicking this Ag News Daily episode off on a strange foot. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I'm super scatterbrained today, so this is going to be a very interesting episode.
2: Uh, I tell you what, as I am as well, Ashton, here in central Iowa, we're starting to see folks and places
0: shut down again. What about down there in Lubbock? Nothing is really shutting down that I know of. There was reduced bar and restaurant capacity, but I think that's been in effect now for two or three weeks. But everything is really just chugging along as the new normal. Nothing that I've heard about shutting back down or anything like that, but I won't be surprised if that is to come as we approach the holiday season a little bit closer.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's a time of year where we're starting to get uh, together with friends and family and folks are maybe a little nervous, especially I would say more so around cities, maybe not so much some of our listeners who live in pretty rural areas. But uh, yeah, that's been definitely something we're keeping an eye on as well as, you know, the announcement that Pfizer is going to at some point in the future release this intended vaccine. So other than that, Ashton, what other news are you watching this week?
0: Well, this week I have been watching the bird flu. Like I reported yesterday, it is in Germany and a couple of other European countries right now. And Germany has issued an order that all birds on production farms are to be kept indoors as that H5N8 strain on bird flu runs through that northern state that I reported on yesterday. Though this will be tough, it is needed to mitigate the spread of that highly pathogenic strain that is running through Germany and those other European countries. And I can't quite put my finger on which country specifically. I know yesterday I talked about Britain and the Netherlands, but I'm not sure that any other European countries have reported the H5NH strain as of yet. But earlier today, Dutch health officials ordered the culling of 48,000 chickens, and South Korea is now seeing bird flu cases as well, those being reported in the central west of the country. And officials have issued a bird flu warning. They have also increased and intensified prevention efforts. Though I'm unsure of the bird flu reaching any production farms, it is being reported in South Korea that the disease is once again being found in wild birds as it was reported also in wild birds in Germany.
2: I tell you what, that seems like it's uh, making more headlines than I originally thought
0: it was going to, Ashton. I think it might be because, like I said, it's highly pathogenic, so it's very easily mm-hmm. spread I guess, in other strains. But it definitely is something to keep our eyes out on and how that's going to really affect the chicken market when it comes to meat and eggs. Absolutely. Well, another market we don't talk about
2: all too often on the podcast is the cocoa market. Ashton, we saw earlier this week, there have been some protests going on right now in the West African country of Ivory Coast. I had, I'm not gonna lie, I had to look that up on the map where that even was. I knew it was in Africa, I didn't know where, but um, they recently had a re-election of their country's leader. To be honest, I don't know if they call that person a prime minister or a president, but let's just say their country's leader, Ivory Coast, leader was just re-elected to his third term of office despite the country's constitution containing a two-term limit. We've now seen opposition in various parties boycotting the election and have formed a transitional government in the country of Ivory Coast aimed at having new elections here in the very near future. The reason I bring this up and mentioned it with Coco is uh, West Ivory, or excuse me, Ivory Coast is The world's largest cocoa producer, and with civil unrest going on right now in their country, it's anticipated that their cocoa supply and export supply could be threatened by what's going on uh, domestically there for them. So the ongoing protests have led to about an 11% drop in cocoa being sent to ports so far. And we will continue to watch that story, but I guess if you're a big chocolate fan like myself, you
0: might want to think about stocking up now. Absolutely, Delaney. You know, I'm not too much of a chocolate girl myself. I prefer fruity desserts, but I'm going to have to keep a a small stockpile, I think, just in case I ever need it.
2: I'm a big chocolate person, so this really makes me sad, Ashton.
0: But we will continue to keep an eye out on that development, Delaney. But I want to talk about our government here in the US, more specifically, the Agriculture Committee. We are seeing some names being thrown around on who's going to take chairmanship of the House Agriculture Committee as three of the four big seats on the committee are open. I reported on that a little bit last week. And the California Farm Bureau Federation has announced its support of Congressman Jim Costa as he seeks chairmanship of that committee. The president of California Farm Bureau, Jamie Johansson, says that Costa's decades of experience in California agriculture make him the right person to lead the committee, as Americans are challenged with keeping nutritious food available for all, growing opportunities for agriculturalists, and addressing climate risk. Joe Hansen also says the congressman has worked across the aisle to help solve policy issues, including water, trade, immigration, and the farm bill. Congressman David Scott of Georgia is also seeking chairmanship of the House Ag Committee. And Scott is the most senior member of that committee. So definitely some interesting things going on on who will take chairmanship. And whoever does get that position and whoever gets the other seats on that committee, they have some pretty big shoes to fill. They certainly do, Ashton. Well, Delaney, what other headlines are you following on the day?
2: Well, Ashton, I tell you what, I have just uh, one other question, one other question, one other story here, and it is market related, as of course, today was the release of the November Wise report. But I want to make sure you don't have any other news before we dive into that report.
0: Yeah, there's just one thing that I wanted to touch on as we are going through the election, the end of the election, I should say, and something that we have been talking about, and that is coronavirus stimulus relief packages. As we know, that. That conversation was kind of put on pause as we neared the election, but Republican and Democratic leaders in Washington have signaled work on a coronavirus stimulus relief package, and that will resu- resume excuse me, in the lame duck session. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says work on a new aid bill is, quote, job one, but he's urging Democrats to accept a pared down its stimulus bill which he proposed last month. House Democrat leaders meanwhile have been aiming for a higher amount along the lines of their Heroes Act which was passed in May and October. Stimulus relief talks between House Leader Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin ended just before the election and there is not yet a sign that any talks have resumed as of yet.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Ashton. I also saw that headline and I'm guessing we're not going to really see anything happen until we get through this election stuff and see, in fact, is former Vice President Biden going to be our next president?
0: Yes, Delaney. We will certainly keep an eye out on that because this lame duck session, I had to look that up. I don't know if you knew what that was, but I had to look it up. But it is that session of Congress that takes place after the election for the next Congress to be held. So Mm -hmm. definitely going to keep an eye out on that because I had to Educate myself a little bit when it comes to government and how those Congress sessions work. But it was certainly interesting to hear that coronavirus relief is still on the talking table. It is, at least for now. But also on the,
2: excuse me, but also on the talking table, Ashton, is of course the WASD report. Should we uh, talk a little bit more about that? Let's get into it. I'm ready. I'm ready as well because really it was quite supportive for markets today, pushing soybeans, corn, wheat, pretty much all commodities up higher. We saw pretty much instantly as soon as the report was released, soybeans shot up about thirty cents, corn shot up about fifteen cents, and really, uh, I think it was friendlier than even what analysts were expecting. So let's go through some of these numbers, Ashton, if you don't mind. Let's do it. Let's do it, Ashton, indeed, because as I mentioned, really, these numbers were quite supportive all across the board. Let's start out here first, though, with the outlook for U.S. corn. This report today lowered U.S. production down 215 million bushels with a based on a reduction in yield. They changed our national line yield to uh, be a 175.8. We also on the flip side saw exports rate 325 million bushels, which if realized will be a record high. We also saw corn ending stocks come down to a 465. Or, excuse me, down 465 million bushels to a 1.7 billion carryout, which still seems like a large number, but if realized, will be the lowest ending stock number since the 2013 14 marketing year. On the Sweden side of things, lowered production forecasts as well, down 98 million bushels on, again, lower yields in several major producing states, including Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, and Nebraska. With these reductions, Ashton, soybean stocks are now projected at 190 million bushels, down a whole hundred million bushels from last month. And again, if realized soybean ending stocks will be the lowest level we've seen in the past seven years. Very, fi- very friendly reports, very friendly for all commodities today, especially the ag commodities. Ash, and I tell you what, we've not seen prices like this, especially on the soybean side of things in years. I mean, we're talking two, three, four years that we've seen prices at these levels. So I tell you what, if you're a soybean producer, if you're a corn producer and you don't have, you have bushels, you still have not sold, I would be pretty excited right now. I'm not going to lie.
0: Yeah, Delaney, it is certainly good news to hear. And I saw a lot of headlines talking about the WASD, but I tried to keep my nose out of them because I was really excited for you to be able to share the news with me on the podcast. So it is certainly a great thing to hear.
2: It certainly is, Ashton, but let's dive a little heavier into these numbers, shall we? Prices, I should say, not necessarily numbers. We've ran through the numbers for today, but the only numbers we've got left to run through are prices starting off here the december corn contract shot up 15 and a half cents to close at 423 the march up 15 and three quarters to close at 431 soybeans added huge gains today as the november contract added 33 and a quarter cents to close at 11.38 and a quarter making their way towards 12 dollars folks And the january up 35 and a half to close at 11.46. chicago wheat pulled higher as well today on less than favorable winter wheat Numbers with the December contract adding 11 cents to close at 608 and a half. The March up 10 and three quarters to close at 616 and a quarter. In the livestock pits, a little bit of mixed trade today between live cattle and feeders. As we looked at the December live cattle contract, adding just a nickel to close at 11187. The February up two cents to close at 11510. Feeder cattle pulled back today as the November contract shed 77.5 cents to close at 140.85. The January down 32 and a half to close at 140.40. In the Lean Hog market, the December contract shedding 47.5 cents to close at 65.12. The February down 87.5 to close at 66.57. And rounding out our markets with the class three Dairy Milk Futures. November adding 35 cents today. 35 cents today to close at 23.81. The December up 75 to close at 1981. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on
1: who
0: we're talking to for today's Tech Tuesday conversation. Today we are talking to Brian Watkins, who is the founder of CropZilla. For today's Tech Tuesday conversation, we are talking to Brian Watkins. Who is the founder of Cropzilla? Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, Brian, before we get started talking about Cropzilla and what you guys are doing, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background in agriculture and how the idea of Cropzilla came to be?
1: Well, I, I developed and founded Cropzilla as a result of you know trying to. Deal with the pain points that I felt myself as a farmer. I'm a sixth generation corn, soybean, livestock farmer in Ohio. I farm along with right now, along with my brother and my nephew, and several other good folks. And, uh, you know, I'd always been pretty tech oriented and business oriented. One of the stories I tell is that the first Thing that went on my uh, appreciation schedule as a beginning farmer back in the 80s was a little uh, PC, personal computer, and software to keep records for the farm. So that's where I started, and and used a lot of different softwares, and found that there was just some missing things that I wanted to be able to understand better about my business, and that's where Prodigy.
0: So, Brian, let's go ahead and just get into the software that you are providing with Cropzilla. What is that machine analytics program that you guys are using? What are you measuring?
1: Sure. So, the thing that, I, you know, we have good um, accounting systems out there. And obviously, you can use spreadsheets for budgeting. But the thing that I, that I was missing, I felt, were good analytic tools, especially around managing equipment and the capital purchases. Right. We there there are there are a lot of tools that are available to kind of quantify the return on investment of equipment and uh, you know productivity and how that affects costs and all of those kind of things. And yet those tools weren't really available to uh, farmers, or I didn't feel like you know, I didn't feel like I had them. So that was the genesis of Cropzilla was to understand what our equipment was costing us uh, in terms of operating costs. And then being able to develop uh, models that would help us sort of optim- optimize the purchases, make the right purchase at the right capacity, at the right cost uh, when we were making equipment. Decisions.
0: Gotcha. So what does the desktop look like? What When you open the program, can you just kind of walk us through the basics of where you'll start out?
1: Yeah. So. so The core uh, technology that we use uh, is is very similar to Precision Ag, even though this is totally sort of a business financial program, and that is we're using GPS, uh, but we're using what's typically referred to as telemetry in that we're tracking the machine all of the time. We're not just uh, tracking applications or harvest. We're tracking it uh, when it's coming out of the barn, when it's going down the road, when it's sitting idle uh, any time. And we do this for all farm machinery. We also do it for vehicles. So the farm trucks and any other vehicles, we're, we're tracking their use, right? And so then uh, we use uh, boundaries and other things to know how much time they spend in every field. And we know what operation they're doing. So then we can develop uh, using the Fox model. We can develop pot, uh per hour, per acre, uh, by field for every, every operation. And so at the end of the year, if I put 500 hours on a tractor, I, I know exactly where those hours went. And I know, uh, I, I can look at the parameters even within uh, the use of those machines to see what was driving costs and where I can be efficient. And I've also then built a model that if I'm thinking about buying a new tractor, I can plug the new tractor into the model. It'll tell me, Should I make the purchase? What it's going to, uh, what the uh, difference in in operating costs will be, all of those kind of things. So it's it's tracking machinery, it's applying the cost model, it's looking at parameters, the drive cost, and then it's modeling the purchases, both for capacity and for cost.
0: Gotcha. So, for folks who want to use CropZilla, is this specific to any kind of operation such as grain, cotton, etc.? Who are you guys serving?
1: Well, I mean, my background is in row crops, uh, you know, corn, soy, and the corn belt. But basically, if you use a machine, and really it could even work for non agriculture, but if you use a machine that takes an operator, and as I said, vehicles or or whatever. I mean, we can track something that's being used in an orchard or a vineyard or a, a uh, vegetable production. Cotton, cotton uh, harvest is a big thing for us. I mean, all of these different, anything that has machinery out in the field doing something, uh, we can we can bring some insight into that.
0: All righty. Well, that is certainly good to hear. And when we're looking at price. What can producers expect when they are signing up to actually use Cropzilla?
1: So I, I think we're very cheap, right? I mean, very e- economically. The way it works, we don't price by the acre. We don't. It's, it's strictly based upon how many machines you are tracking. So uh, we, we have, and, and we're a software company. We have some third parties we work with in terms of getting the data from tracking. Um, we also work with John Deere uh, through the John Deere Ops Center, and so if you have their uh, subscription, if you have their um, hardware on your on your machinery, then we can pull the data from there. So there is this, there's this hardware component, which is third party from us, and then there's our component. But it's you know it's just a two hundred bucks for machining, machine, and relative to the annual operating cost of these machines, which is typically in the ten multiple tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, it's a minor peak. And and the payback is very quick because we not only, it's not only just about when you purchase machines, but we have feedback for the operator. Um, one of the things, big things that drives uh, pause is speed, making sure you're going at an optimum speed. Uh, you also, the path that you pick across the field, we have one of the things that we have in our software is an optimization of paths. So we can take sort of any geographic-shaped uh, field and tell you what the optimum direction of travel with the is. Uh, and so there's things like that that are part of the value proposition besides sort of this global machine financial management.
0: It's definitely interesting just how much we are able to use technology to plan things out. And Propzilla, of course, is definitely one of those companies that we're able to do that and it's very interesting to hear about how all of that how it intertwines with with one another to make a profit but uh for those that are interested in learning more about cropzilla and maybe you want to reach out to actually use this technology how can they do that brian
1: well by far the very best way is to go to our website uh there's several places on there where you can click to give us your name and phone number and uh, we will
0: I just have one more question before I let you go there, Brian, and it is, how does Cropzilla differentiate itself from other ag tech companies that might be doing something similar when it comes to planning and managing?
1: Well, you know, there's, there are a lot of different, um, companies and software packages out there that are focused on sort of operations management, financial management, as as a global idea. They're trying to manage inventories, a lot of different things, but I have not seen anybody that goes to the direct issue of, of helping you manage your equipment, your operators, in terms of just how to operate the equipment, and then report those equipment decisions. Uh, in terms of closure. And so, you know, that's our niche. And we've really focused on it. Again, as a farmer, I felt that that was a an area of need that was not being served. And just a very, very clear payback with a lot of money on the table just surrounding the machinery operating file. And frankly I, I just don't see any of the other sort of large enterprise level packages really addressing
0: well again brian thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking to us about the cropzilla program
1: oh you're very welcome Ashley. Uh, questions
0: Thanks again there to Brian for coming on the podcast today to talk about Cropzilla and their desktop usage. And when he was talking to me about how he came up with Cropzilla, it was making me giggle a little bit because he was talking, you know, there about how he started out farming many years ago and had his big desktop computer. And it just made me giggle a little bit about how big computers used to be and how far we have advanced in technology, especially in the world of agriculture.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I just like the name, too, of the of their business.
0: Oh, absolutely. And we're always talking to some great businesses with fantastic names, which you can follow along with on our website at agnewsdaily.com and on social media at agnewsdaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let, let them go.